Well, can I add my welcome to you today? If you're new in the in the room today or new online, welcome. My name's Troy. I'm the pastor here, and I'm not quite sure if you saw the news reports last weekend, which profiled the Easter celebrations. Anyone catch the news? It's always interesting to see how the news um, profiles Easter. You might have, if you saw the news reports, you might have seen people being interviewed at the fish markets, or at the, at the beach, or at the park, um, or even at the doors of churches themselves. And in those news reports, you may have seen when they're saying, well, what does Easter mean to you? And those people said, even people who are standing at the doors of churches say, Easter, it's about family. It's about family, they say. And that may be a common, a common perception that lots of people have. Easter is about family. You ask them also about Christmas and they say, what's Christmas about? Christmas is about family. And so what we recognise is saying from many people, even people with us this morning or online, you might say those two big celebrations, Easter, Christmas, it's all about family. Now, I would suggest that those two big um, celebrations are about family, but not necessarily in ways we would ordinarily think or that we may say when, we're being, when a microphone is shoved in our face by a TV reporter. I would suggest that Easter is about our Heavenly Father. It's about His Son and it's about our part in God's family. Now, that being said, though, in this space that we have, we must recognise the importance of family. And so for us as a church, then, that we should help, that we should speak into the most special of all human relationships, and that is when it comes to our family. And so today we are starting a brand new four-week series called In the Family. Now, this series is all about how do we positively influence our families. Now, positive influence helps make our family relationships better And I'm sure that all of us want to see our families be better, no matter how good they are today. We still want them to be better. And if you can be somebody who can positively influence your family, then you will be a blessing to your family more than you already are. And so what we're going to be doing in this series is that we're going to be looking at how you can positively influence our children, You influence your children, how you can influence your parents, how you can influence your in-laws or other wider family members that are part of your family circle as well. So they're going to be some of the big ones that we focus on in the course of this series. Now, there are many ways that we can negatively influence our families and the chances are that many of us will recognise them. But the focus of this series will be how do we positively influence our families? with the wisdom that we get from the Bible. And so today we're going to be starting off by talking about how can we influence our marriages. Now, for those of us who may not be married today, um, then today will still definitely help you if and when you find yourself married in the future. And this, t- this series, and today will, in particular, will also help those of us who know somebody who's married or know somebody who will be married one day. And so we can glean some, some, hopefully some wisdom from today and then be able to help other marriages of people that we may know and people who will be married one day. Now, it's amazing how certain songs or certain movies or certain news items stick with us. And sometimes it can be the most random things that we remember. You know, like, a, forget trivia, like our minds are, are just a, a big filing cabinet of just the most random details. 
For me, I remember back a random cartoon that I saw when I was a teenager. And as a, te- as a cartoon from the magazine, Mad Magazine. Anyone remember Mad, Mad Magazine? It, it's a, for, for people who are younger, you may not know what Mad Magazine, but in the, it, was a, it was quite a, a comical little magazine back then, which teenagers and others really enjoyed watching, uh, having a look through. But there was this cartoon that I cannot forget, and it spoke to what marriage could actually be like. So here is part of the cartoon from from this mad magazine. Now, as you can see there, you've got a wife who's got her hair in rollers and she's cutting her toenails in the lounge room. And one of them goes on the, on the ground in the carpet and then another one, she does it again and it flicks into her husband's drink, probably a beer. And so he flicks in there to which he looks, obviously looks absolutely disgusted. He gets up, Edna, that's disgusting. Now, this is an interesting cartoon because it... Does it actually convey what marriage is really like? I mean, is marriage simply getting to a point where you are prepared to show your not-so-good habits in front of another person? I mean, if you have a think about it, if you've been married for some time, how many of the habits that you now openly do before your, your spouse you try to keep secret? in the early parts of your marriage. I wonder what we now do in front of our spouses (laughs) that we wouldn't dream of doing when we first got married. I wonder what that could be for you. But the interesting thing is that with Mad Magazine, this is not the end of the cartoon. Let me show you what happens with the rest of the cartoon from, from there. You see, Edna, as we see in the last little frame there, Edna is part of the toenail clipping championships. And so she is trying to be, you know, trying to get her toenail into her husband's can of drink. And so and he gets up all disgusted and saying, you've got one out of five in there. That's disgusting. How are you actually going to be really good at this? And she walks off all despondent as a result. Now, the interesting thing is, is the way that her husband responds, and it appears to be, you know, he's quite angry about that. Is that the words and the attitude that he, that he wants to be showing to influence his wife to be the best that she can be, the best toenail clipping person in the state? Is that the best way to actually go about it? <laughs> you know, I wonder when it comes to um, marriages and things like that about how we actually go about positively influencing them and how we positively influence our most precious of family relationships. So what do I mean by influence? Is influence like this guy here? Is that, is that what, how what influence looks like when the husband gets all upset and all angry and tries to influence her wife in particular ways? Well, this is what I mean by influence. And this sets a definition then for our entire series. Influence, by definition, is the process of producing the effects on the actions, behaviour, opinions, etc. of another person. So that's what we're defining as influence. In our marriages, and as we'll see in all of our family relationships we talk about in this series, there will be a need to see other family members do and say and think think things differently from what they do at the moment. Because we want to see, we want to influence them to see things be different than the way they are now. However, what we know by this definition we can see up here is that we know there's a very fine line between influence and manipulation, don't we? Very fine line. So what's the difference between manipulation, where you just manipulate your spouse, and influence your spouse? 
Well, what we have to realize is saying you exert influence. You exert influence when the suggested action, when the things that you're promoting, the things you want to see happen. You're exerting influence when it is good for God. You're exerting influence when it's good for God in terms of wanting to see the things that God wants to happen for that person, for in society, for the world actually happens. You want to influence them when it's good for God. You also exert influence when it's good for your spouse, when it's good for your spouse. It could be a growth opportunity for your spouse. How many, how many of us today who are married recognize that our, our, our spouses, there are plenty of growth opportunities for our spouses? So how do you influence them to actually accept that growth opportunity? It could very well be to encourage them in their faith to be more obedient to God, for instance. How do you encourage your spouse for their good? How do you influence them? You exert influence also when it's good for others. You might want to try and influence them there so, it's, so they have a better relationship with their children, for instance. That could be one of the ways that you exert influence. Or it could be actually good for the marriage where you try to encourage you know, a, bit, a, a, a date night or some couple time away or something else that's actually going to help the marriage be healthier, be stronger, be closer together. So that's the ways that you can exert influence. So what about manipulation? Manipulation, fine line. So manipulation, though, is different. Manipulation is when the change or the thing that you are suggesting is simply for your benefit, where you are going to get something out of it not the other person, it's only something for you. Now, when it specifically comes to marriage, even when you encourage times of physical intimacy that that you put under the umbrella of, you know what, it's going to bring us together many times that we only try to foster that, encourage physical intimacy because it's only for our own (coughs) self-gratification. And so we have to really get to a point where we ask ourselves the question, Am I only manipulating my spouse to, for me to get something out of it? Or am I trying to influence here for something greater? I wonder if you ever ask the question of yourself. Now, it must be said, though, that the reason for the encouraged change or the things being different may be for the good of God. It may be for the good of your spouse. It may be for the good of others. It may be even for the good of marriage. But the way that we may exert that influence sometimes could actually be a negative influence. Yes, you heard me right. There is both positive influence and there is negative influence. Now, negative influence takes on the forms like this. When you guilt your spouse into them doing something. When you bribe your spouse into doing something. You know, it could be it could be with sex, it could be with food, it could be with shopping, it could be day spas, it could be it could be with flowers, but you try to bribe them to get something out of it for that, for something to occur, for a change to occur of some description. And so you try to bribe them. I wonder if anybody's resorted to bribery here this morning when it comes to your spouse. There's flattery. You can also flatter the, your, your way into influencing people. And the flattery is not always a good thing. Then you've got obviously the, the common one, the nagging element from there. And then you've got the husband's great one. When you bring out the headship card, you've always, husbands already have it there in the pocket, just waiting to pull out the headship card. No, I'm calling headship here. I'm going to cause you to do this because I've got the headship card. Oh, the husband, husbands are looking down and got their eyes closed. They're not wanting to think about that one right now. So let me ask you, when it comes to these negative influence techniques, how many have you used to try and influence your spouse? 
and what's been effective during them trying to do that. You know, on Easter Saturday, last, uh, last Saturday, I had the incredible privilege of, of officiating over the wedding of Kerry Botros's daughter in their, in their wedding to her, with her fiancé. It was a beautiful day, wasn't it, Kerry? It was an absolutely beautiful day. And there were so many smiles and excitement and a few tears, mostly from the groom, as I, what I could see in my, my part, mostly from the groom. But the vows that they said to each other were so personal and were personally significant. There were things that they said to one another in their vows, which are specifically about the type of relationship they have, considering the type of people that they are. But also common in their vows, it reflected an intent that many of us may have said when it came to our own wedding vows. And that is that I (coughs) vow to be the best husband or the best wife that I can be. What does the best husband or wife look like? Have you ever thought about that before? What does being the best husband or wife look like? Now, I wonder how many of us actually started with that intent. We stood up when we got married and then, you know, I'm going to be the best husband or the best wife that there can be. So what would the best, what would the greatest husband or wife actually look like? Well, for that... Let's go back and have a look to see what Jesus says. Because Jesus spoke and taught about human interaction, about our attitude to our relationships. And as we looked at from our series we just completed last weekend about trusting Jesus, we know that we can trust what Jesus taught. And this is one of the things that Jesus taught. He says, You know, the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over the people and their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you, he says. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, this was, if you were here with us for Good Friday, you know that that was our reference passage that we heard look at as we celebrated Good Friday last Friday. But what may be surprising to many of us is that this could very well be the greatest of all marriage passages anywhere in the Bible, and Jesus doesn't say anything, mention marriage by name or husbands or wives, but this could very well be the greatest of all marriage passages. You know, there's lots of leadership consultants and authors and speakers who say that leadership is influence. Or in other words, and going back to the definition of influence, if you impact the actions or the the behaviours or the opinions of your spouse, then you are exerting influence. So in a way then, you are providing leadership into your marriage. But in a marriage, leadership is not about who wears the pants or who pulls the strings like some marionette. Jesus is saying here, That may be how the others in the world, how they forcefully or manipulatively try to operate within their marriage relationships. But that's not the type of leadership that he values and that he wants us to have as his followers want to have with people themselves, particularly when it comes to our marriages. So you can't lord it over your spouse where your so-called influence extends to effectively saying, you must do what I say. 
Because that's what Jesus is saying, getting at here. Lording power over your spouse is not leadership. It is not influence. It is your desperate attempt to have control. Now, according to Jesus here, it will not make you the best. It will not make you the greatest husband or wife if you lord power over your spouse. It won't even make you a good husband or wife by doing that. Jesus says, if you want to be the best husband, if you want to be the best wife that you can be, serve the other person. Servanthood is where you become great. Servanthood is where you become great. So by this measure alone, how great of a husband or wife are you? Well, let me put it another way. After all the years that you've been married, after all the things that you have shared together, for where you are in life right now and how much you know the other person and you've got into the rhythm of life, are you still trying to be a great husband and a great wife as Jesus defines what is great? Are you even conscious of being a great husband or a great wife anymore? I mean, do you even consciously serve the other person right now? Look for new ways, greater ways to serve them. Or do you simply go through the motions of daily life, the routine of daily life, and you go, I don't even think about serving. I just know they do that. I do this, and that's marriage. But the issue of servanthood is not merely a challenge for those of us who have been married for some time. It's equally for a, a challenge for those of us who have been married only for a relatively short period of time who are still trying to live up to their wedding vows of being the greatest husband and the greatest wife that they can be. Let me tell you how I utterly failed to live up to what Jesus says and utterly failed to live up to my wedding vows and how I instead tried to live out some distorted view of the words from the New Testament from Ephesians chapter 5, which could very well be the most disliked passage in all of scripture you see i totally misunderstood the nature of influence when i was thinking that marriage was simply according to the the words in ephesians 5 22 which says wives submit yourselves to, to your own husbands as you do to the lord anyone know that passage how many of us want to rip it out of the bible now please know i am very aware on how what I'm about to share with you will make me look. In about the year 2000, Edwina and I were both at Bible college. Me full-time, Edwina part-time. And Edwina gave me one of her assignments to read over. And I told her about some changes that she, sh that she should make to make the assignment better and to make it right. I'm hearing all you laughing already. You can see where this is going, don't you? So I wrote some comments down in the margin just so she wouldn't miss it. Anyway, we, we, we both got to a point of submitting the assignments and for some unknown reason, I don't know how it happened, but I got to read Edwina's assignment before she submitted it. And I saw that she didn't make any of the changes that I suggested she make. And that hurt me and I was angry and I told her so. Because 
what she did by not accepting my, all the changes that I said needed to add to assignment, I said that that just totally disrespected me as a husband. Now, I said as a husband, I told you what to do and so I was expecting it to be done. So how do you think this all worked out for me? How long do you think it took for me to, for Edwina to trust me to have a read through another one of her assignments? How much influence do you think I lost with my wife by trying to exercise what I thought was the meaning of Ephesians 5.22? <laughs> oh, my goodness. You see, Jesus warned me. Jesus warned me. Troy... <laughs> Don't lord it over Edwina. Because it wasn't, I wasn't serving her. All that I was doing as husband was serving my ego. My ego, which had to be served by saying, my wife must submit to me. Now, I put a wedding band on my finger the day we got married, but the way that I was acting, it was like I was wearing Marvel's Infinity Stone gauntlet where I was wielding all this power that could be activated at a snap of a finger and I could make my wife do whatever we want. That's how I was behaving. I told you I wasn't going to paint myself in positive light here. Well, did I? I said that. So with that attitude and actions, I wasn't fulfilling what Jesus says about serving your spouse. I wasn't a great spouse at all. I wasn't a great husband at all. In fact, I was perhaps the greatest schmuck husband when you come to think about it. So is it any wonder so many people dislike the Ephesians 5.22 passage because of the way it has been wrongly understood and badly lived out? particularly by husbands. Now, interestingly, immediately before the Ephesians 5.22 passage that so many people want to redact from the Bible altogether, the Apostle Paul says something incredibly profound. In verse 21, he says this. He says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, this S word within two verses has been used twice. I won't say the S word again because I know that even the mention of the S word gets people's backs up. We hate the words. We hate the words. But in verse 21 here, notice how Paul is saying that it applies, the S word applies to both husbands and wives. It applies to you and it applies to me in all of the relationships that we have with each other. All of them, not just one type of relationship. So how are we to understand the S word a whole lot better so that it is helpful and not a stumbling block? Well, by looking at the way the sentence is structured in the original language, looking at the original Greek, we can get an insight into what this is actually about. So the best way to think about the S word is rather to think about it in these terms. Think about it in terms of to prefer. To prefer. Not needing to comply or obey, but rather to voluntarily prefer. To prefer the other person to yourself. Where we place our preferences under the preferences of your spouse. 
and where we prefer the other person out of reverence for Jesus. Because remember that just as you humble yourself by voluntarily preferring Jesus in the way that you want to live, you are then also to voluntarily humble yourself to prefer your spouse from the way that you want to live. We do so, we prefer out of reverence for Christ. So that if we take the understanding of the S word to mean to prefer, then that makes a reading of that disliked Ephesians 5.22 verse this way. It can come, become this way. Wives, prefer your own husbands to yourself as you do to the Lord. This preferring of your husband is the way to serve him, just as Jesus talks about servanthood. So when I asked you before about, are you still trying to be a great wife? How about putting it this way instead? Think about, in what ways do you show that you prefer your husband to yourself? Now, disclaimer here. None of this preferring stuff applies when there is abuse in the relationship. That completely changes the nature of marriage and dare I say, it's grounds from getting away from the marriage altogether. And now I just need to be, make sure that I say that just so that everybody's clear of what I'm saying. Abuse changes everything. It changes everything. Now, if you think I'm being, I'm picking on wives here from England, let me pick on husbands for a while, shall I? Later on in the Ephesians 5 passage, the Apostle Paul goes on to say, these bold statements says, Husbands, prefer your wives just as Christ preferred the church and gave himself up for her. See, what we know from, from Ephesians 5.21 and now what Paul's getting to here, we recognise that husbands are to submit themselves to their wives as much as wives to their husbands. Now, there's a concept that most husbands, most men, have never thought about before. I've got to submit myself. I've got to prefer my wife more than I prefer myself. Absolutely, you do. Absolutely, you do. Just the same way that Christ sacrificed himself for the church. In other words, there is nothing that a husband will not do to prefer his wife. Unless, of course, it goes against the very commands of God itself. There is nothing a husband will not do to prefer his wife. So, go, guys, I asked you, as I asked the, the, the women just a minute ago, the wives, in your attempt to be the best husband that you can be, according to Jesus' definition of best and great, in what ways do you show that you prefer your wife over yourself? So when it comes to this part of Ephesians 5, it couldn't, another reading of it could be this. Husbands, prefer your wives just as Christ preferred the church and gave himself up for her. And just so we're clear here, husbands, preferring your wife means that you will never, ever abuse your wife. Ever. You can't prefer your wife and yet abuse her. So according to Jesus' teaching... And then what the Apostle Paul is saying here in this chapter, love, specifically love in a marriage, is to ultimately be expressed by the extent to which you prefer the other person. 
out of the humility you have for and before Jesus. Now, clearly, it took me a number of years to learn this lesson. The road was a bit rocky from times. Isn't that right, Ed? As I was learning <laughs> about all that. But learning to prefer your spouse, learning for me to learn how to prefer Edwina, is the single greatest reason for the quality of marriage I like to think I have with my wife today. So let me ask you, how do you prefer your spouse when the nappy needs changing? How do you prefer your spouse when it comes to cleaning the toilet? How do you prefer your spouse when it comes to what route to drive? How do you prefer your spouse when it comes to where you're going to go on holidays? How do you prefer your spouse when it comes to how and where you're going to spend money? How do you prefer your spouse when it comes to their life goals? How do you prefer your spouse when they are tired? How do you prefer your spouse when you are both tired? How do you prefer your spouse when they are stubborn? And how do you prefer your spouse when they don't care about stuff as much as you do? How do you prefer your spouse in those and an infinite number of other variations of that? How do you prefer your spouse to yourself? You know, the Bible will often speak and is often written to groups of people. And so when the Bible actually provides us some directive, some encouragement about the nature of what, how people as a group are going to interact, how much more do you think it applies then to the most precious of all relationships? See, the Apostle Paul, he writes this to the church in Rome. And as we read this, think about how it may apply to marriage. The Apostle Paul writes this, he says from Romans 12, he says, Be devoted to one another with authentic brotherly and sisterly affection as members of one family. Give preference to one another in honour, he says. Another version of this passage says this, says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Get this, outdo one another in showing honour. Or in other words, when you apply this verse to marriage... You try to outdo each other when it comes to preferring the other person. Marriage is not trying to get a one-up on one another till you ultimately get what you want, but rather it's the opposite. You try to bring your preference under the other person who are then trying to bring their preferences under you and so on and so forth. It's a very different perspective. You try to outdo one another when it comes to preferring the other person. But I wonder how many marriages actually operate like this. Now, you may be thinking, Troy, do you remember the title of your message today about positively influencing your marriage? What does all of this from Ephesians actually mean to positively influencing our marriage? Well, it's simply this. Preferring the other person develops trust. Tell me, when did you have confidence that you could trust your spouse? I don't mean trust them that they're not going to cheat on you. I mean, when did you get to a point where you could trust that at the very core, your spouse prefers you to themselves? Now, sadly, for some of us, we still haven't got that trust. And that breaks our heart. See, if your spouse can trust you implicitly that they know that you always have their best interest at heart by the way that you prefer them all the time, 
then you can influence your spouse in profound ways. Now, this is not a manipulation technique, but it's one of the benefits of true servanthood, as Jesus talks about. Because if you know that someone prefers you, then when they suggest something, you know it has to be for a very good reason. And you trust that. See, one of the reasons why we trust Jesus when he tells us to do stuff is because we know how much he preferred us to himself. Isn't that right? The reason we trust Jesus so much is because we know how much he preferred us to himself. And so a life of preferring your spouse leads to incredible opportunities for influence in moments that count. Now, what if one of those moments that really count, one of those situations that really occurs, is when it comes to your spouse's own salvation? And for some of us, this is the greatest issue in our marriage that we wish was different from the way it is today. So how do you positively influence your spouse? who is not a believer and who doesn't trust Jesus as much as you do, what do you do then? Well, first and foremost, you, of course, you've got to pray for your spouse, praying for opportunities for influence, uh, praying for a growing receptivity to spiritual things, praying for God to touch their heart. So never give up praying for your spouse. Never give up praying for them. Start there. But for those of us who like to do things and who don't count prayer as doing things, then what you might want to do to try and influence your spouse into spiritual things is that often we will take the negative approach to influence them. I mean, how many of us have tried to nag, guilt and bribe our unbelieving spouse to come to church? How many times have we done that? <laughs> and how has that all worked out whenever we try to take that negative approach to influencing them? So how can we positively influence our spouses who may not believe? Well, from what we've talked about today, how then do we understand what the Apostle Peter says when he writes this? When he says, Wives... In the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, do not believe the word of God, they may be won over without words, but through the behavior of their wife. Now, obviously, Peter is specifically talking to wives here in this instance, but it could equally apply to husbands who have wives who don't believe. The way that Peter is suggesting you win them over is through preferring your spouse the humility and preference that you show your spouse from the humility and preference you show to Jesus will spiritually influence your spouse in significant ways. And I would imagine that if you're a spouse of someone of a, of a, whose husband or wife does not believe, I would imagine that more than anything else, you want to see the fruit of them being spiritually influenced but even if you don't see it, it doesn't mean the path of preference is not the right way to positively influence your spouse that you love so much. 
preference, preferring them is the way that you influence them. So bringing all this in, in, in for landing. Preferring your spouse develops trust and when they trust you, trust that you prefer them above everything else, then you can have profound influence over your, over your spouse. But we don't prefer to simply have influence in our marriages. We prefer them because that's the way that Jesus tells us to love them. If we have any influence at all, it is merely for the benefit of loving them the way that Jesus tells us to love, and that is by preferring the other person, by serving the other person. Now, next week we're going to be talking about how do we positively influence our children, particularly our teenage and adult children. And strap yourself in for that one, I would imagine, because many of us now are at a a loss about what we do with teenage and adult children. So why don't you join us next week as we continue the series of In the Family. But what I recognise this morning is that today's message when it comes to marriage could very well be incredibly difficult for some of us considering our marriage experiences. And doing what I say about preferring them is so hard because you go, you don't know my spouse. They could even be somebody who's been a Christian all their lives, but you don't know my spouse. And in preferring them is really hard. Because you don't know how stubborn they are. You don't know they put on a public face. And, but you don't, if you knew what it was like, it's just so hard. I don't, I don't even begin to imagine what, I, what that situation would be like for you. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be praying and giving it over to God and following what Jesus taught. So if you today know that you need prayer for your marriage or you need prayer for someone's marriage that you may know, then myself and John Owens, we would love to pray with you about that as, as well. So, um, actually, Fiona, can I ask you also, would you make yourself available if, um, if there's any uh, women here who would like to pray? Can you make yourself available as well? So, for John and myself and Fiona, we would uh, we'd love to pray with you about that if there's something that you need to pray for in your marriage right now. But I know there could be a myriad of other things that are going on in your life as well that you may need prayer for. Have courage, come forward and bring your prayer request to God because he cares about you. He wants to hear the cries of your heart. So why don't you take that advantage right now? Let's pray while Mark and Justine lead us in our final song. Lord God, I want to thank you so much that for each of us, that we have the potential to influence our families, particularly influence our marriages for those of us who are married. Lord God, I want to pray that you might touch our hearts today as husbands or wives or people who have privileged positions of influence in other marriages, that we might be able to speak truth into those situations by understanding the role of preferring others to ourselves. Lord God, I, I want to really pray for, for, for softening hearts, Lord God, particularly around the Ephesians passage, Lord God, which can be such a, a stumbling block for many. Lord, let our hearts be softened, Lord God, about the, as we think about the issue of preferring rather than the other word. Lord, we, we see what Jesus did and we model our lives on Jesus 
Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our master. Jesus is the one we trust. Jesus is the one we follow, even when he comes to talk about being the servant of the other, serving the other person. Lord, let marriages be transformed in this room, online, all throughout our community, all throughout our nation, Lord God, as a result of people choosing to prefer the other person to themselves. Transform us, Lord Jesus, with this reality today. Make us different people. Make us different husbands and wives. Make us the best husband and wife that we can be by serving preferring the other person. Lord, I just want to pray for all of us, Lord God, who are and who will be married in the future. Lord, I want to praise you and thank you now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.